Welcome to The Destinationists, the show for the modern travel marketer. I'm Andres Lopez Varela. And I'm Lauren Quaintance. Coming up in this episode... Some destination marketers are blessed with incredible vistas, white sandy beaches, beautiful experiences, and no negative baggage about their destination. But not all destinations are that lucky. One such destination is Cleveland in the United States, with a sort of troubled, almost comical uh, reputation in the United States. It really has turned things around with a brand and a sort of pride of its residents that many other cities in the Midwest uh, can't claim to have. And today we're going to talk to them about how you capitalize on the strengths that you have and on the pride of your locals to create a destination brand that's compelling and that sort of like pushes back against the haters. In Trend Monitor, we're going to discuss the uh, new mobile maturity report from Oracle examining how well hotels are actually using mobile experiences uh, with their staff and with their guests. And finally, in campaign news, we're going to review the new campaign from Puerto Rico called Have We Met Yet? An interesting new piece of work with the destination pivoting swiftly out of recovery mode after Hurricane Maria into some really proactive messaging for the US market. All that coming up in this episode of The Destinations, starting now. Destinations that have a checkered or troubled history can be tricky to promote. There's an enormous perception to overcome about those places. And one of these places is Cleveland in the state of Ohio in the United States. And they have really had a roller coaster ride over the years. They were once a very, very prosperous industrial city. They had a big decline for many decades, and now they're back on the rise. It's a city that can count on immense local pride and a destination that has a clear vision about how to leverage that local pride and its natural strengths in a message it's sending to the rest of the US. David Gilbert is the CEO of Destination Cleveland, and he joins us on the show today. He's going to chat to us about how this destination has transformed itself from the butt of many of America's jokes into one of the most interesting, progressive, and really quite curious places to visit in the Midwest of the US. David, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thank you both for having me. David, let's start um, maybe with just a bit of big picture context for, for those listeners who aren't familiar with Cleveland. Tell us about the history of the place, the kind of economic and social challenges and ups and downs that the city has faced. So Cleveland is a, uh, um, a large, mid-sized to large city in the Midwest of the U.S. Um, we sit on one of the Great Lakes, Lake Erie. It, it's a city that, that um, major European immigrant city back in... Uh, really from the 1840s to, uh, to the 1880s and became um, really from about 1880 through 1920, 1930, um, uh, uh, probably the, the heart of the Industrial Revolution in the United States and um, rose very quickly to become the fifth largest city in the United States. Um, it it was, uh, became... Um, a, a very wealthy city in a short time. Um, it became a, a very innovative city. Um, John D. Rockefeller uh, made his, his, he was the first billionaire in the world, made his money here in Cleveland and oil refining. Um, and and um, uh, became, more patents came out of Cleveland um, per capita than any city in the United States for quite a while. I mean, in many ways, it was sort of the Silicon Valley of, of the United States back 100, 120 years ago, created a lot of tremendous wealth. Um, and, and all those industrialists in the sort of dirty Midwest city um, were you know, sort of in competition with their friends in New York. And they started all of these really 
high-end arts and cultural institutions and endowed them very highly. This, this is a very wealthy city. And so one of the things that's great now is that we have these really well-heeled, world-class arts and cultural institutions. Um, but then back in, in the starting in the 50s, um, the, the, the Midwest of the United States really started in a, you know, quite frankly, a 50 or 60 year decline um, as, as the industrialization of, uh, you know, what really made the city in this part of our country what it is. A lot of that manufacturing moved to other parts of the world, moved to other parts of the country. Um, they were very dirty industries. Um, so it was, you know, this really interesting that, you know, you had all this wealth, but you also had a lot of dirty industry, oil refining and steel making and shipbuilding. And, and, um, and a lot of that culminated in, in the, the late 1960s, where um, through a lot of pollution, there was a um, some wood on, on our main river through downtown that, that caught fire. And, and Cleveland really became, quite frankly, the, the butt of, of jokes um, in, in the United States for being sort of an old, dirty, industrial city. And particularly in the past 20 years or so, has, has um, transitioned into this really interesting, unique place that now is back on the rise. But you have, have this interesting combination of a lot of these amazing old arts institutions, um, but yet there's this, there's this real, even though there's a lot of new stuff and a big resurgence, um, a lot of younger people moving downtown, um, you know, and, and kind of a lot of hip neighborhoods, you also have this sort of uh, this grittiness that permeate, permeates the city from its industrial past and still certainly is a... a a, a manufacturing city still, but not nearly on the on the scale that it was. And it's part of why, it, to me, it's it has such um, such unique character to it. And um, you know, a lot of a lot of deep rooted, multi generational people here, uh, very people that are very um, fiercely loyal to their community. Um, and and it's it's um, it's right now it's become it's a it's a significant arts and cultural town. Very significant sports town with professional sports uh, that that um, have always been very tied to the identity of our city. Um, it's a city that still is battling perception issues. One of the things that has changed dramatically in the last probably eight to ten years has been the shift in Clevelanders' perceptions of their own city, and that's probably been the most dramatic change. There's been this really fascinating pride. Now, there's a lot to it. The city has really come back. Um, we had one of our sports teams, the Cleveland Cavaliers, won the first championship for any of our, our sports teams in 50 years. Um, and we had 1.2 million people at the parade. At the time, it was estimated the largest um, parade celebrating a, uh, a sports team uh, um, uh, uh, championship in, in, in the history of the United States. Um, you know, people coming from all over the country sort of feeling good for Cleveland. Um, we hosted... Um, a political convention uh, back four years ago or not two years ago that, you know, it, it really is probably the most significant type of event that a city in the U.S. can host. And, and not many people expected that Cleveland would win the competition and it went very well. And it just a lot of that helped us all these this combination of swelling the pride. And uh, um, and it, it's, you know, for someone who is from here 
and and has really lived through a lot of this and and spent a lot of my career and trying to advance Cleveland. It's 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 really um, it's very fun and exciting to see this dramatic change in in local perceptions and and certainly you know working hard and continuing to change that regionally and nationally. Mm. I mean, one of the most interesting ideas um, there we'll be talking about the history. Um, you know, you can see it in Cleveland, the sort of prosperity that, that the city once had, you know, in the buildings and the architecture, you know, there's some very grand buildings in downtown um, Cleveland. Um, and it's it's such an interesting story to hear that, that context of, of, of that kind of economic decline and, and then sort of turning that around now. Um, but, you know, it's, it's I, I wonder, um, you know, what you would say is the one differentiator. You've talked about sport um as being uh, one of those in arts and culture would they really be the two differentiators for you as a place that you are as a marketer are focusing on i'd say those we really kind of kind of look at a, 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 a interesting combination of three things a sort of our um uh, um culture sports and and rock and roll and rock and roll is a big part of rock and roll music um is a big part of the history of our city certainly now having the rock and roll hall of fame and and I think it's it's those three things. And fascinating, what we were we were um, developing really. I'd say the first ever true destination brand that we had about eight years ago, seven years ago. Worked with a wonderful firm um, called MMGY Global, and and they did they came in did all kinds of research. And interestingly, what they researched was you know what Clevelanders thought of Cleveland, and then what outsiders thought of Cleveland, and and looked at the difference. But they said what's fascinating is. That, that there's this uniqueness to Cleveland, this grittiness surrounding all of it. And they said, you know, it's not, our orchestra is, is a, a, by really, by most accounts, one of the top five or six orchestras in the world. And it's still one of the highest paid. It goes back to, you know, again, a hundred years ago. And, and they said, it's not that, that your, your great Cleveland orchestra plays at its beautiful symphony hall. It's that, that you have musicians from the Cleveland Orchestra playing at Happy Dog, this bar that serves hot dogs with Fruit Loops on it in a gritty neighborhood, and and you have this this really unique set of of old and new um, of of world class and grittiness. You really take pride in those beautiful old buildings and and that that history um, of the of the culture, but in a you know, a little bit of a of a Cleveland gritty way. That's that's such an interesting idea to embrace that grittiness, isn't it? To say, in an authentic way, that that is part of your story and part of your offering, and not to try and shy away from that. That there is a kind of a high and a low, um, you know, if you like, and and um, that, that you can go to the sort of um, you know grand music hall, but you can go to a neighborhood bar. That's such an interesting yeah. idea. I mean, are there other destinations that come yeah. to mind when you when you think about Cleveland? I mean, if, if we were going to compare it to anywhere else in the world and you look at the marketing of any other and the visitor proposition for any other destination, is there any comparable destination that you think of? You know, it's interesting. We, we have, over the past five or six years, we've taken some interesting trips with people from our board and community leaders to some cities, particularly in Europe. I mean, I, I believe that there's that overall destination marketing in Europe is far ahead of the United States. Um, and it's, it's more not about pure marketing, but about being innovative 
And and uh, and there's a couple of places that come to mind that we've really learned some good lessons from. One is Amsterdam, um, and and they've done such a brilliant job with their I Amsterdam campaign of of really um, uh, um, having one brand that is not just about travel and tourism, although it's it's very important with that, but really permeates everything they do from how they market and communicate their city. Even, even how it's physically demonstrated with these huge I Amsterdam letters all over town. Um, Copenhagen is another city that we've gone to study, um, and they've done some brilliant, brilliant things um, in, in what they term localhood and, and how they, they have taken a lot of their outside marketing and used the money to have locals um, really be a huge part of their, their destination marketing strategy. Um, and one other place we visited too, again, very impressed with was um, um, the, in, uh, in, near Brussels, their region. And, and they've done some brilliant things around um, curating experiences. And they, they, they looked at what are, what are the things there as part of their World War I Flanders history and, and, and I'm a, you know, I'm a big believer. You can't be all things to all people. And if you have certain things that are really unique to you, that really speak to who your destination is and, and, you know, a, a, a something that when you promise it to the customer and they try your product, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, you're going to live up to the promise. I think you need to go all in on those things. It's interesting you mentioned Copenhagen. Actually, we we spoke with Sina Unistad of Copen of Wonderful Copenhagen as well on our show um, last year, and that concept of localhood is is really really interesting for a city that's going through kind of a transformation and a change as well. Um, so I think I think that's that's a great place to be taking lessons from. Certainly, um, the the one thing that I that certainly some of the cities don't have to deal with is like you said, sort of you know being the butt of the of of so many jokes. I mean. There's these, um, I mean, those Mike Polk videos, for example, on YouTube. Uh, yeah. To, to yes. Those two, I mean, you know, they're hilarious. And, and, and you know, they are sort of yes. uh, a, a reflection, I think, of maybe what you said in terms of Clevelanders not being that proud of their destination, but also the city being the butt of so many jokes. Uh, I mean, these have enormous views, like, it's like, like something like 20 million plus views on YouTube, yeah. for example. Like, how do you counter that kind of... Um, opinion, that sort of negative perception, vitriol, you might say. Like, like, do you respond? Do you engage? You, do you take it tongue in cheek? How does that sort of form a part of your um, kind of you know platform to talk about the destination? Such an interesting question. One, when Mike Polk did those, it was now about five, six years ago, and that was probably when, when much closer to when thirty four percent of people were low. And Mike Polk's a Clevelander. He's you know is not from the outside. He's one of us. And, and, uh, um, you know, I would venture to say that if, you know, if you fast forward six years, Mike Polk wouldn't have done those videos. But, I, you know, I think I would tell you that for many years, many decades, um, our community was, was very defensive when those things happened. And, and, you know, you had all these jokes in the 70s and 80s on, you know, Cleveland was sort of the mother-in-law joke of cities. And uh, thankfully, it's not anymore. It shifted to other places. What we do know from, from a lot of research is when people visit here, the, their perception changes dramatically. And, and, you know, so part of what you could say is, you know, we, we could also take advantage of the fact that we have a low bar to begin with. 
And, you know, you don't know what people think of Cleveland. You know, sometimes I feel like before they've ever been here, they might think of like a black and white movie or something like that. Um, But but the fact is that, you know, I would feel much worse if people had this low perception. And when they visited, they still had a low perception. But we believe, based on our research, that the delta in perception of people who've never been to Cleveland versus those who have is probably as large as any place in the country. And again, a a, a significant part of that is that it starts with a low bar. But our job is to get people here and and once they're here to have them change their perception. And and also now we're working on a lot of strategies of how do you gather the data of those folks and get them, you know, we look at they are now users of our product. If our city is a branded product for travel and tourism, that's how we view it. They've tried our product, they like our product. Now, how do we get them to become repeat users? How do we get them to become advocates? How do we get them to tell their networks what a great place it was? So, David, I mean, that's a really interesting um, point that you make around the the perception kind of shift, I think, because a lot of destinations around the world have this challenge. I know that, that you know, from personal experience, Australia has that challenge, that people have a certain idea. It's a good idea, sure, of what the destination is about and what they can do and what their experience is going to be like. But then when they come here, generally speaking... Uh, their their perception is kind of shifted. So if like you know if if they think it's going to be like six out of ten, they get here and almost always it's eight out of ten. So uh, I think that's a really yeah. interesting point yeah. you've hit on in, in for destination marketers is to understand that perception is to understand what people are expecting from your destination and first of all, like you said, you know deliver on on the very basic promise and then make sure that that you know you sort of focus on moving them up that scale because without that you're right awareness advocacy it goes out the window so how important do you think that is in sort of the overall picture of what you're doing with cleveland well i think that you know it's i think destination marketing is undergoing a dramatic dramatic shift you know along along you know very much along the lines of other industries where technology and the ability to tell a story worldwide um you know that that you know, every every person is a is a uh, um, is an author. Every person is a is a journalist, if you will. Um, that that you know, we're 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 taking what we think is a a little bit m- more of a, a a forward approach, and and that is again it viewing it's it viewing the, the our our visitors as our customers. You know, th- this is what's a real challenge. For, for, for destination marketers. We know from, lots of us know from research, I'm sure you all know, and I've been to Sydney, it's a wonderful city. You know how many people visit from macro research, however many millions, tens of millions of people visit. Problem is you don't know who they are. And, and, but, but yet now with the use of technology, we're developing um, some, some tools and strategies around gathering the data of of who these people are, and um, um, and 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 how do you directly go to them to get them to become your advocates, to get them to become um, your 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 repeat customers? Um, and I would say, interestingly, there's there's a um, uh, you're all probably familiar with Business Events Sydney. Um, it's it's a, a really interesting organization that that I've actually spent a good deal of time on the phone with the woman who runs it. And it's something that we're looking at in a a slightly different scale, but replicating here. How do you take even meetings and conventions 
and and um, how do you how do you target the right people so that they can have an outsized effect in your community? So that that's really um, an interesting segue to talk about the idea of attracting residents to the city and, and how your approach differs. That's not something that every destination marketer is doing, but it is something that we're coming across more and more where there, there is this combination of you know, attracting tourists, but also, you know, targeting, um, you know, future um, residents and people to come in and live in a place. Um, how does your approach to them different than when you're trying to attract visitors? Well, we're really at the front end now. We're actually getting ready to put a significant amount of time and resources into this. Um, we've done a, a ton of research. Um, we've been asked to do this by um, a lot of leaders in our community. And what they've come to us and said, look, you guys do a really good job of getting people to consider Cleveland and coming here. And, uh, um, and so we're, we're, we're really, our strategies are going to be around um, probably three different areas. One, above and beyond, we are, we're getting ready to, to look at how we um, elevate and, and really um, uh, how, we, how we try to take our brand, do, do some, some research on how that brand works for attracting talent, not just visitors. So, because there are some nuances to it, you're, you're looking at a different set of people. So that's one piece. Um, a second piece structurally in our community is once we get any of these people to consider Cleveland, we know what to do with them when they consider Cleveland to, to visit, to come for a day, to come for a week. Working with community partners, we have to do that for talent attraction. What are these people looking for? They're not looking for where to go for a weekend. They're looking for what jobs are available. They're looking for the cost of living. They're looking for schools. Um, and, and how do we do that in a way that's extraordinarily efficient and customer service friendly? So that you have that structure. For us overall, to fill the funnel, we're, we're looking at three areas. One is um, a strategy around Cleveland expats. I mean, Cleveland is a, a, a sort of a fiercely loyal town. And what we found is there's a lot of a lot of boomerangers, a lot of people who are from here decided they wanted to move to one of the coasts or move to New York, and they really want to get back here. And and again, you sort of have to fish where the fish are. And in our case, expats are people who already are are they know of Cleveland, they lived here, meant you know they grew up here, and they're they're in, uh, far more willing to come and take a job than just anybody who's never been here. The second area is, is about using major events uh, because then it, it, when you have a major event, you know you have a lot of visitors one place one time. And, and how do you use data collection around those events? And, and then the third piece, and this is where we're taking a page from Business Events Sydney, and we're, we're at the front end of developing a strategy and we're hiring some full-time staff just to work on this. Um, to, to work with targeted industries in our community and, and not just look to attract meetings and conventions to fill hotel rooms. That's what we do now. But if there, if there are, are key industries in our community and, and there are key um, uh, um, drivers to grow those industries, you know, be it venture capital, talent, um, uh, um, business incubation, how do we do an outsized effort to target the right groups? It might be the right group of 20 people, sent them to come to Cleveland, 
make sure that we provide a very customized experience for them when they're in Cleveland, not just the fact that they have a good meal and they say, oh, there's some pretty buildings here, but, but they, have a very, they, they are meeting people within the industry. They're meeting the CEOs of the hospital systems, whatever it might be. Try to create that stickiness to get out of them what you're looking for for the future of our community. And the metrics for those that, 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 that um, uh, um, strategy we're developing is not around room night. It's not around dollars generated. It might be around um, uh, um, investment dollars in our companies. It might be around jobs filled, it might, th- those types of things. And so, again, we're sort of at the front end, but we were very excited about, about what this can do. And it, again, it, all of those get back to that whole notion of harnessing the power of the visitor. Mm. Uh, it's such an interesting idea. I, I'll be back in Cleveland again for my second visit this September and um, where I'll be speaking at Content Marketing World and I know Joe Paluzzi, the founder of Content Marketing yes. World, is a proud local. Um, you know, to, yes. what, to what extent have events like that, you know, been a, a, you know, a key plank in, in your strategy? You talked about wanting to emulate, you know, business events Sydney, but, you know, more broadly events and what are the role that they've played? It's, you know, we're, we're very much an event town. Sports event, attracting sports events in particular has been huge for Cleveland. Um, I, mean, this, it, I mean, this year alone hosting our Major League Baseball All-Star Game, which will have 50,000, 60,000 people and U.S. Triathlon National Championships, about 15,000. And, and so, you know, you, you have some big events. Um, what, what is, I, I tell you, a really interesting story. So we just had our annual meeting about a week ago. And we were talking about, we had about seven, 800 people. We were talking about harnessing the power of the visitor. And, and we were really at the front end of unleashing these strategies. And we, we had two people there. One, uh, we had a couple um, named Jerry and Tove Shear. And they're um, in their early 70s. And they last, this past August, just four or five months ago, they came to Cleveland. They're world-class triathletes in their age group. They, they, they've lived for 35 years in New Mexico, two, you know, they, you know, 2000 miles away. They came to Cleveland, had never been here to compete in the, in the, the, uh, um, the, the triathlon nationals. When they were here, they fell in love with Cleveland to such an extent that now five months later, they've sold the house they've lived in for 35 years in New Mexico. They bought a house in Cleveland and they're moving here to retire. They just felt it was an unbelievable place. You know, those to us, I mean, they're micro examples, but they're exactly the test case of what we want to get to. It, it is, um, you know, easier said than done. And, and, and so now developing the strategies around, um, around doing that in a very systematic way is what we're going to be spending a lot of time and energy on. We're actually in the, in the process of restructuring our whole organization to allow us to take on a lot of these um, new initiatives in, in a in a far more efficient manner and in, in a very dedicated manner. And David, you mentioned earlier, and it certainly seems um, valuable in the context of the events conversation too. But you mentioned the idea of locals, um, I guess, being more proud now of their destination of their city than they were in the past. And so, I mean, that's obviously a big shift it's a, it, it means you have sort of a uh, a base of advocacy to build from how have you engaged locals to help them tell the story of cleveland and why people should come and and what kind of you know um i guess part of your strategy is most informed by that approach 
So it's actually we're we're, we're now just um, we, we have a, a first program uh, that we're in fact we're, there's a one piece of it is taking place um, as we're speaking over these handful of days and and it's going to culminate an event this summer and we are we are actually working on a program um, called Visit Me in CLE is how we're how we're uh, uh, terming it locally and it is all about exactly what you're talking about with with how do we activate that 77%? So it's wonderful that 77% of people would now say in Cleveland that they would invite their friends and family to visit. Let's get them to do it. So we are providing um, a whole set, a whole suite of tools. We're even doing things like we are, we are going out, we've gone out to some major events and we've had um, thousands and thousands of people. We've had these really clever postcards and they're all done around the brand very tongue-in-cheek um very you know kind of very irreverent it's kind of the, the sort of the brand around cleveland and uh, um and and it's all about inviting you know people sending and inviting their friends and family and we're actually culminating in a first um homecoming weekend that we're doing um uh this summer and we're we're hosting a couple of big events in town a lot of a lot of prize drawings for people who um, who invite their friends and family to come visit, and uh, um, you know it's it's we're, we are doing everything we can to quantify the the value of it. Um, some things will be more qualitative, some more quantitative, um, but but it is very important to um, to to let locals know the value that they bring to their community and having people come visit. It's also great because again, with social media, there's so much that you could do at very little cost. And we have such a proud market and, and uh, we have so much, so many local media outlets that are promoting the heck out of this for free because they just think it's a great idea. And they think, they think it is, they, they, they're using their promotion of this program as a way for them to show their civic pride. That's, that's wonderful. We'll certainly keep an eye on, on that campaign um, as it progresses. It's, it's really um, been wonderful to have you on the show. Um, we, we, we're thrilled that you were able to make the time to share your story um, with us. It's really fascinating. It's so much, yeah. so much sort of, you know, kind of um, depth and texture to the story in terms of the history and where you're at now. And I think people, our listeners, will get an enormous amount out of it. Thank you, David. We appreciate your time. Good. Well, okay. well thank you both very much. I was really thrilled to have David Gilbert, the CEO of Destination Cleveland, on the show today. Um, mainly because it's so often that we do have destinations that have got a you know a fantastic story. You know they really are some of the top destinations in the world. But here you've got a destination that's actually struggling to attract visitors. That's actually got this very rich and interesting history. I mean, who knew that Cleveland was once the Silicon Valley um, of the yeah, US? Yeah, the industrial age. Insane. Insane. Um, but yet it's, you know, really faced significant decline and is now sort of, you know, on the rise again. Um, you know, I thought one of the most interesting points was the whole idea of how you address that kind of ridicule and, and, and vitriol. Mm. Um, do you think that you should, would engage with the view of the destination marketer in his shoes? I would, I would definitely engage. I would definitely engage. I think it, it would be quite, I mean, like with that product, with that product, with that place, I think it would be great to engage. I mean, I, I personally, I understand um, that they have, like you said, you know, if Mike Polk, you know, nine or ten years down the track, you know, he probably wouldn't have made those videos. But, like, at the time, if I could, 
engage in some kind of tongue-in-cheek way, then I certainly would would um, would do that. I think it's worth it. But I think also what's particularly interesting is that they've taken some of those um, uh, kind of you know tongue-in-cheek moments and, and they've made them part of their character. And, and as David said, the kind of embracing the grittiness of Cleveland and that, as you put it, that kind of you know meeting of high and low culture. And that is that is quite unique because not a lot of places, probably especially in the US. Uh, do that terribly effectively, destinations that aren't like, you know, in New York or in LA or something like that. So I think that combination is really, really interesting because it's, there's a real honesty about it. There's a real honesty about destination promise to, to visitors. I think that was so excellent because I think that that's come from a, an enormous amount of, you know, kind of navel-gazing about who you really are and what yeah. people really think about you. You know, it's a real truth that's come through there and instead of you know trying to you know ignore that and whitewash that say mm. actually you know this is we've, we've got you know kind of you know world-class musicians playing the you know suburban hot dog bar we happy like, dogs happy dogs where by the way you can get fruit loops on your fruit loops on your hot dog well you know that's when you go in september that's you're going to give us a full it's, report that's going to be one of my my top places I to hope stop. So. I hope so. but i will see cleveland through um different eyes after some people i return there this is my second visit um this september and i think you know I've got a better understanding, I think, of the role that, you know, um, I guess events and also, you know, kind of some of these, um, you know, sporting events particularly have played. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and David has this dual role at the uh, Sports, sports commission, commission, the Great Sports Commission, yeah. Where he's also CEO, and that's obviously been an incredible big um, part of both the patriotism and the rise of sort of local pride has been around yeah. the success of those sports yeah. teams. I think the other thing that I found really interesting was around uh, the idea that the... Like, in terms of sort of, you know, targeting visitors of people that live in Cleveland with this upcoming campaign, Visit Megan CLA, um, I, I think that's a really compelling approach for a destination like that. And I think it's actually probably an approach used more by regional destinations than city-based destinations because sometimes regional destinations have, have actually the same challenges that Cleveland has in terms of perception and uh, in terms of sort of, you know, variety and... and um, sort of, you know, depth of the destination. And so I think that that's actually a very uh, insightful way of using, of leveraging your locals and, and using their their uh, networks, I guess, to almost, you know, create some more organic advocacy. Mm, it's quite a bit, bit of a lo-fi approach in some yeah, ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but an interesting one. And no, and no doubt those networks include the people that he was talking about um, in terms of attracting people to come back and live in Cleveland. You know, those that the role of attracting yeah, expats. That's a whole lot of things. It's um, you know, which is which makes perfect sense, really, doesn't mm. it? Um, it's it's about that those that is the low hanging fruit in terms of you know getting residents um to come and kind of help energize the economy there is is drawing those people back whose whose perceptions of the place they grew up. Are probably you know way out of date. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And so I, finally, I think the last thing I would point out was um, that the the kind of pivot away, like in terms of a destination, the pivot away from the idea of being like a dirty city or being like a manufacturing hub to being something more of like a maybe a haven is not the right word, but sort of being a little bit more kind of um, secluded or, or like you know re retreat a retreat from like the the, the the busy life on the east coast or the west coast I think is a really compelling piece for them too especially given the fact that they obviously have like a lot of great sort of you know nature-based experiences there in the midwest um, it really makes sense in terms of leverage leveraging that for people to come to Cleveland and, and sort of experience uh, a very very different kind of capital city sort of life that's right and I think that's 
and that's probably something that we didn't touch on as much with him. But you know, Cleveland is in Ohio, and Ohio yeah. has in itself got some you know wonderful nature-based experiences, yeah. and and they they're very they're very close, and that's one of the main reasons that you might you know come to Cleveland, you might live in Cleveland, is to kind of access some of those, and uh, it certainly doesn't. Ohio doesn't suffer from the perception problem that Cleveland yeah, does. In campaign news today, we want to talk about a new campaign from Discover Puerto Rico, which is um, following on from Hurricane Maria, which is a little over a year, 18 months ago. They're back in market with an exciting new campaign, which we've seen released very recently called Have We Met Yet?, which hopes to emphasise the kind of culture and history of the island in order to differentiate it from other destinations in the Caribbean. It's interesting that they're back in market so quickly. Yeah, it is. It is. It's really surprising, actually. I think that um, certainly um, early on when we talked to Rowan Warner at uh, Christchurch, in Christchurch in New Zealand, uh, after the subsequent earthquakes, I think they weren't really in market with, you know, strong tourism messaging for, I think, at least five or six years. So 18 months does seem surprisingly fast, but also at the same time, I can understand that uh, because tourism is such a vital part of their economy that if you don't get that thing firing right away then you are going to be more trouble than 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 maybe uh than maybe a place like Christchurch might be I think that's right I mean I think for Christchurch you know which is a city which has other industry it's probably a slightly different situation um than 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 an island um nation like this which is so reliant on on that visitation from America I mean what interests me is that is that there's so little understanding of what Puerto Rico is in the US um given the size of the Puerto Rican population I mean Puerto Ricans are something like five million of the of the total population the US that's 1.5 percent of the overall population and they're the second biggest Latino group so so particularly if you, you live in New York, as I've done, or you know Florida, some of the the coast there, you um, you know Puerto Ricans are people that you meet every day. Yeah. Um, but yet it seems that they really didn't have any differentiated messaging. Mm. And I understand they, the current marketing team there puts it down to the fact that they'd flipped flopped around a lot, that they had yes. actually never really consistently stuck to one brand platform. I think that's really interesting um, in in the context of this campaign. Um, and, you know, they've relaunched their website. They've done a whole new bunch of brand work in the past kind of, you know, 12 months really. Um, but they've really, as you say, been in market in the past uh, six months with this very positive come to Puerto Rico. We're beyond recovery sort of a message. Uh, and I think that the lesson there for market is, is the importance of consistency in branding can't be underestimated. And in fact, in my opinion, a brand is, is just consistency. It can be white words on a black background, you know, in Arial font. And as long as it's consistent, that's what really matters. And particularly in travel, I mean, there are so many destinations that look and feel and speak the same uh, that the consistency element is critical in order to cut through. Because if you took the branding away from this commercial and and, and from this um, marketing campaign, it could be anywhere in the Caribbean. It could even be anywhere in the South Pacific, really. But the definition of, of what makes us Puerto Rican is that consistency, which they're hoping to now achieve, which they didn't previously have. 
That's right. It's, it seems to me that sometimes as marketers, we move away from these kind of brand platforms um, too quickly. You know, we perhaps overestimate um, people's ability to, you know, kind of soak up that consistency and kind yeah. of get a feel for what we're trying to say. And that, you know, that with with changing teams and so on, there is a kind of, there is a, often an urge to, to shift away to a, a new brand line or a new brand messaging, um, perhaps, you know, when the consumer isn't really ready. Yes, yes. We sort of get excited about, about changing stuff and doing something new ourselves. <laughs> But actually, we forget that that the the target audience really needs to hear the same message over and over and over and over and over again. They can't just hear it twice or three times. They really have to see it really consistently, and especially with um, this the, the proposition that Puerto Rico has uh, for the United States, where it's like we are U.S. territory, so you can come here. We speak English. You can use your American money. It's not too far away. Don't even need a passport. Don't even need a passport, which many Americans do not have. And so from that point of view, those are some really compelling differentiators for that market and potentially other markets around them, obviously, albeit you know, a slightly different message, but really potentially big um, differentiator for the U.S. And that's really got to be repeated consistently over and over and over again uh, because the, the country is so diverse, the population is so diverse, and the travel type is so diverse, that association needs to be created consistently. And so you can't really sort of be, be changing, chopping and changing when you change the, the political administration. Well, let's hope that they build some brand equity out of this new campaign. In Trend Monitor this episode, we're going to talk about a new report from Oracle, the 2019 Hospitality Benchmark. It's a report about mobile maturity uh, amongst hotel operators, and they conducted this study really to assess three key areas of, of mobile, I guess, the ability to offer Wi-Fi ubiquitously through a hotel property, apps for guests to enhance their experience, and um, interestingly, apps for staff to improve their daily operational workflow. Now, there's a bunch of really interesting stats here, obviously, that relate to mobility and and you know how mobile is disrupting and reshaping the, the overall sort of experience um, for hotels and for guests. But primarily, I think what's interesting to us and, and what we should uh, maybe just touch on first is the idea of really great experiences, mobile kind of led experiences in the hotel as a key driver of um, loyalty from guests, especially when there's a lot of price-driven uh, stuff in this category when it comes to marketing that actually this could be a really good way to create a differentiator i think they said that um they actually something like nine out of ten respondents said that their guest facing apps are actually the preferred way they'd like guests to request service from hotel staff and um, the same amount said that the actual experience for guests could be improved uh, by using, I guess, by enabling smartphones to manage a lot of the basic functions like checking in and opening your room kind of door, ordering your food in the room, all that kind of stuff. So there's a really big understanding that this is, I guess, an area of competitive difference and something which could hypothetically be used um, by marketers to communicate why the experience at one hotel is better or different than another. But I think it's no secret really that hotels, I mean, big box hotels certainly, uh, are not really the most progressive when it comes to having a digital mobile first experience for their guests um, or even for their staff. Would you agree? Well, I think that this is the interesting 
thing is the context in which all of this is happening which is you know really that understanding about the role of of OTAs and how so many of these hotel brands have been sort of disintermediated really yes, you know they've yes. it's become a very you know price driven category and um and so it's so critical really to drive that that loyalty and you know a lot of hotels are doing this through those the loyalty programs and become mm, more and more yeah. important but this is sort of another part of that but I think that you're right that they are a little bit afraid and the report sort of you know reflects that that they don't feel um that they are necessarily going to be um at the cutting edge and be able to kind of you know drive innovation in this sector but it is so critical if you think that this is a such a way of you know easing the pain points of guests you know to be able to just simply check out on an app as opposed to you know go down and queue up with the 10 other people that are you know checking out at 8 30 a.m when you're on the way to your flight um you know those sort of things that are just going to be you know really with regular loyal guests it's going to make such a massive difference, difference to their to yeah. their experience. The other thing which I thought was interesting to, to elaborate on your point in the report, they had said that twenty three percent of respondents disagreed that their mobile experiences actually empowered guests to plan their itineraries, plan their trips. So much the same way that I think you know that sort of old model of pop down with the concierge, ask them where to go for a dinner, where to go for a walk in the afternoon. That kind of stuff is obviously not so relevant anymore. Uh, but likewise, it seems like you know, like not all hotels actually think that they're doing a good job at empowering their guests to plan their trips on mobile, which is obviously the primary channel, the primary experience when people are in trip um, and uh, and when they are sort of, you know, walking around the city, walking around the destination, uh, planning what to do. And so there's a big gap there in terms of how mobile could be used to improve the way that guests plan and sort of interact with their local area. I'm so amazed how few hotels do this in either a digital or non-digital form, which is the simple, you know, fact that you are um, by virtue of the fact that you live there and you you operate within a, a community in a neighbourhood, you are an expert on experiences that your guests can have in that neighbourhood yeah, that, that suit them you know whether they're traveling with a family or they're a business person who wants to dine alone those sorts of things um you have that knowledge and i'm amazed how few um hotels try and impart that beyond as you say the old-fashioned thing if you can go down and talk to the concierge if Mm. they happen to be at their desk if they happen to be there if they're not on their you know dinner break or you know or they've got someone (laughs) out they've got a queue of people i mean i just want to access that information i mean and and you know to some extent you might see that in compendiums in the room but really so few people do even that well um to put that into a digital experience for me and have that kind of curated sense of experiences in my neighborhood um, the neighborhood around the hotel that is so critical rather than the, you know, get the sense that the hotel is in a bubble the hotel has to be connected to the community it's in and that's how people want to travel it's something that airbnb have you know nailed, nailed yeah. you know they really understand that um, that's what we need to see come into the hotel experience in a digital form That's all we've got time for on this episode of The Destinationist. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, really. If you want to find out more, you can always visit the website at thedestinationists.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn or follow us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, and if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to rate and review us. I'm Andres Lopez Varela. And I'm Lauren Quaintance. Join us next time for more insights from top travel marketers from around the globe.